Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got a great show for you today, including guests uh, William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll be talking about what's happening in Washington, D.C. Dr. Zudi Jasser is uh, president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander. We'll be talking about uh, jihad and uh, threats around the world. We'll also be visiting, visiting with Michael Cannon. Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of many books. His latest is Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries by Life by Design. It is November the 4th, and on this day in 1922, British archaeologist Howard Carter and his workmen discovered a step leading to the king of King Tutankhamun in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt, when Carter first arrived in Egypt in 1891, most of the ancient Egyptian tombs had been discovered, though the little-known King Tutankhamun, uh, who had died when he was 18, was still unaccounted for. Uh, after World War I, Carter began an intensive search for King Tut's tomb, finally uh, finding steps to the burial room hidden in the debris near the entrance of the uh, nearby tomb of King Ramses VI in the Valley of the Kings. On November the 26th, 1922, Carter and his fellow archaeologist, Lord Carnarvon, entered the interior chambers of the uh, tomb, finding them miraculously intact. Thus began a monumental excavation process in which Carter carefully explored the four-room tomb over several years, uncovering an incredible collection of several thousand objects. The most splendid architectural find was the stone sarcophagus, containing three coffins nested nested with each other. Inside, the final coffin, which was made out of solid gold, was the mummy of the boy King Tutankhamun, uh, preserved for more than 3,000 years. Most of these treasures are now, of course, housed in the Cairo Museum. Well, over the past four years, uh, Governor DeSantis has held the line on tuition while ensuring Florida's higher education system is the best in the nation. Recently, the College Board's annual Trends in College Pricing Report confirmed the cost of a bachelor's degree for the 2022-23 academic year in Florida at Florida's public universities is now the lowest, the lowest in the country. This year, U.S. News and World Report also ranked Florida as number one for tuition fees and the number one state for higher education overall since its ranking inception in 2017. A college degree should not put our students in a lifetime of debt, said Governor Ron DeSantis. Florida's public college and university system is number one in the country because we uh, put students first, and this achievement proves we are in the right track when we continue to prioritize offering a world-class education at an affordable price, providing the greatest value for our students. With a continued emphasis on affordability, the average state uh, university system Student pays less than $3,400 for a bachelor's degree after factoring in Florida's investment in bright futures and other financial aid, showing a decrease five years in a row. 
Florida has held tuition and fees flat since 2014-15 compared to a 17% increase nationally. The state university system recently announced a 12% five-year increase in graduation rates and a 49% year-over-year drop in the cost of, uh, to the student for a bachelor's degree. Florida's state university system has 12 public universities and more than 430,000 students, making it the second largest in the nation. And while the federal government has attempted to place the burden of student debt on taxpayers, Florida's 12 public universities have kept costs low and reduced the amount of student loans needed to earn a degree. Within the state university system, over 17,000 fewer resident undergraduate students took out loans in 2021 compared to the 2019-20 year, while 75% of resident undergraduate students did not take out any loans. Increased financial aid, such as Bright Futures and the Florida Student Assistance Grant, increased graduation rates, and consistently low tuition has resulted in fewer resident undergraduate students taking out loans and uh, lower loan default rates. Just uh, really outstanding. I'd like to credit not only to our terrific governor, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, but also before him, Governor Scott, uh, who made focus, focused on the metrics of the cost of an education and the quality and graduation rate and getting jobs uh, in uh, in the workplace after graduating from uh, college. So that's been the focus, and uh, it's worked. It's worked really well, and uh, I think most states could do something like this. They end up with bloated bureaucracies, uncontrolled costs, and, of course, uh, the kids and the students and their families ended up paying, end up paying for it. Well, less than a week before the midterm elections, Governor Ron DeSantis is promoting candidates from across the country in competitive areas. He's becoming a kingmaker of sorts. Florida's governor's raised, risen in popularity and is applauded by conservatives outside of uh, Florida for leadership during the pandemic. DeSantis voiced his support for Carrie Lake, the Republican candidate for Arizona governor, and Blake Masters, the Republican candidate for Senate in Arizona. Carrie Lake faces uh, Katie Hobbs, while uh, Masters is going against uh, Democrat Senator Mark Kelly. The Pennsylvania state race is another high-profile race where Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz faces uh, Democrat Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. DeSantis and his wife have supported Adam Laxalt in the race for U.S. Senate. The First Lady traveled to Nevada in September for a Ladies for Laxalt event. Laxalt's opponent is Democrat U.S. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Masto. Uh, DeSantis uh, praised Republican Ohio U.S. Senate candidate J.D. Vance. If you haven't read uh, Hillbilly Elegy, it's really a great read off topic for this discussion, but very interesting. Uh, He faces a Democrat representative, Tim Ryan. The governor also gave shout outs to Republican candidates for governor in Kansas, Derek Schmidt, uh, Republican Oklahoma gubernatorial candidate, Ken Stitt, uh, Wisconsin Republican candidate, Tim Michaels, and... uh, Ron Johnson, Maine uh, gubernatorial candidate Paul LePage, Arkansas gubernatorial candidate Sarah Huckabee, and New Mexico gubernatorial candidate Mark Ronchetti. So uh, certainly, I'm sure these uh, these uh, the support is valued because again, DeSantis has really risen in the ranks and become an admired governor, and I consider him to be our firewall against the insanity happening in Washington D.C. right now. 
Well, Representative Jim Jordan and fellow Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee plan to release a 1,000-page document today detailing the politicization of the FBI and the Justice Department under Biden. The document lays out Jordan's priorities over the final two years of the Biden term. They include artificially inflating statistics about domestic violent extremism, targeting parents who spoke at school board meetings, spying on Americans, prioritizing political cases over criminal ones, and so forth. Uh, should be very interesting. Looking forward to uh, get the details on that 1,000-page report. As you can see, uh, the Republicans have not been sitting idly waiting to win an election. They've got a game plan going into the final years of the uh, Biden term. <clears throat> well, the United States is on pace to spend more uh, to maintain its debt than its own military. In the third quarter, the federal government spent over $184 billion on interest payments on its debt. This means an annual cost of over $730 billion dollars. The Department of Defense in 2022 budget was about $720 billion. Interest payments have skyrocketed over the past two years with massive increases in government spending uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic and then due to interest rate hikes enacted by the Federal Reserve in an attempt to curb inflation. Interest payments, payments in the first three quarters of 2022 reached nearly $500 billion compared to less than $430 billion the year before. That's a big difference. According to uh, the data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, the majority of the roughly $31 trillion in federal government debt is held by private investors. Significant holders include large banks, investment houses, and pension funds. About 20% is held by the government itself, such as in Social Security, Security, military retirement, civilian retirement, and Medicare trust funds. That means interest on this part of the debt is paid to the government to itself. Another 20% is held by the Fed. Interest on the debt is used by the federal uh, Fed to fund its activities such as administrative costs and open market operations, including purchasing more government debt and mortgage-backed securities, as well as paying bank interest on money it left dormant in uh, depositors' accounts. Whatever the Fed has left over transfers to the Treasury. The Fed, however, can only... Um, also directly create money, so it doesn't technically depend on interest income. What's conspicuously absent from this list of uh, creditors to the United States is the other countries like China. I think, uh, and I think I heard in one of our interviews that you know, we only hold, uh, or China only holds three percent of our debt now, which is great because it reduces the leverage of what I consider to be uh, a political enemy of the United States. Well, Israeli uh, Prime Minister uh, Lapid on Thursday conceded defeat to Benjamin Netanyahu in this week's election, setting the stage for the former Israeli leader to return to power. Lapid congratulated Netanyahu and instructed his staff to prepare an organized transition of power. The state of Israel comes before any political consideration, he said. I wish Netanyahu success for the sake of the people of Israel and the state of Israel. Lapid, I guess it's Lapid, if... if uh, is the pronunciation. Anyhow, who has been interim prime minister for four months, made the announcement after a near final vote count showing Netanyahu securing a parliamentary majority with his religious and ultra-nationalist allies. Final results were expected uh, yesterday. The former prime minister is expected to form the country's most conservative government in history when he takes power, likely in the coming weeks. Israel held its fifth 
election in four years on Tuesday, protracted political crisis that uh, saw voters divided over Netanyahu's fitness to serve. Of course, uh, he's right now going through a trial for uh, misdeeds they, uh, that uh, they claim he committed. Irrespective, um, we'll find out more from Mark Schulman on, uh, on Monday uh, about the implications of Netanyahu taking over as the prime minister in Israel and what this uh, may have in, uh, in terms of impact for the Middle East and for the world. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading lifeinnaples.net is the website. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with uh, uh, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow at the Political uh, Le- Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.com. 
www.islamicforum.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. William, tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. Uh, we're a, a nonprofit uh, litigation organization that defends ordinary Americans from government overreach and abuse. A lot of that going on. It's a big market. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, a lot. Thank you, William. So uh, let's talk about what's happening right now. We're moving like four days from the election, five days from the election. And Biden's final me uh, message, uh, midterm message is kind of, well, extreme, I would say. M maybe you could make some comments. Well, yeah, he's, uh, he's eager to talk about anything but his own record, um, and, and he's somewhat of a two-trick pony. Um, so on Monday, he again demonized oil and gas companies, and that's something that we've talked about seeming, I guess, the last four weeks or so. Mm -hmm. um, called, said they're guilty of war profiteering and called for a windfall tax. Um, and then on Wednesday, he rolled out, uh, I guess this is the alarming speech to which you were alluding, um, a talk about how democracy is at stake. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I guess America must vote for his political party or else uh, we stand to lose our democracy. Um, and Obama actually echoed that same message in Arizona, saying that you know unless we do vote for Democrats, um, we won't quote-unquote save democracy. Um, so it is a... Uh, uh, clearly, he is, you know, again, pointing to anything, um, uh, primarily things related to Trump, <laughs> that, that that distracts from his, uh, what I guess the, the electorate believes commonly, um, a terrible performance. I mean, his uh, approval ratings are at 40%, and um, there's widespread concern about the economy. And those, again, the sort of historical indicators of uh, the president's success in a midterm. So, it would seem as though they're in for a shellacking. I'm loath to prognosticate. Um, the fact that the president is so eager to talk about anything but his own record, um, I think, is telling. And I doubt Americans are going to buy into this stuff about how democracy is at stake unless they vote for the president's party. Yeah, I don't think so. I wonder if either of these gentlemen are aware that we're a republic and not a democracy. <laughs> well, indeed. Um, a liberal republic, indeed. Well, that sort of nuance is, is certainly lost at, the, I guess, the national level level of politics, um, for better or for worse, I guess for worse. Well, I mean, but it's, it is a very important distinction. I mean, you can have what I think many have referred to as mob rule with uh, democracy, whereas right now, because of the way we have division of power, uh, it's not who, the most popular idea necessarily, but it's, uh, it's uh, the rule of law. Well, here, here, and exactly, our founding fathers uh, were very, the framers, the Constitution, were, as you presciently note, um, very much concerned with the notion that the masses could overwhelm uh, individual liberty. Um, and that's, uh, we've got all sorts of structural protections against that. And I'll note here, it's troubling the extent to which it's become sort of a central plank of the Democrat Party right. platform. Um, that the masses should rule, that, that we should be able to override individual liberty um, in order to uh, give the masses what they want. Um, so it is, uh, I echo your point, 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely think we, when they say the end of democracy, they really mean it. They want a one-party <laughs> rule. So uh, that nuance is important to them, I'm sure. So let's let's uh, move to what's happening with Trump in the legal area and litigation. Uh, first of all, the, the Supreme Court has uh, paused the Congressional Committee's pursuit of its taxes. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, indeed. So uh, you described it well. This was uh, Chief Justice Roberts, and uh, he, he temporarily barred the Treasury Department from giving Trump's tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, this has been a dispute uh, for three odd years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is, you know, one I think could, could legitimately wonder why on earth the Congressional Committee is still hankering after Trump's tax returns, given that he's no longer the president. Um, it hasn't been so for two years. Um, nonetheless, I'll say this: it looks as though the clock is going to run out. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, it were Republicans to win, as seems likely, on the midterm elections, then they will have control over this committee, um, the Ways and Means Committee in the House. And uh, uh, they certainly are going, they're not going to pursue this matter any further. So uh, the uh, that is to say, um, well, on the one hand, it's kind of outrageous what's going on here. I mean, the, the committee is exercising this power to, to yeah. view a single American's tax returns. Um, they're doing so clearly for political reasons, and this sort of uh, politicized use of state power is always troubling. Yeah. Um, but I will say it does appear as though uh, 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 the president, uh, or this particular abuse of power potentially is going to end next Tuesday. It is, gratefully. And I guess it's, it's simply harassment on the part of the president. Speaking of harassment, uh, we've got this uh, AG in New York who is uh, trying to harass the president with more claims about the, his illegalities of his company. Uh, and he's suing. He's suing her. He's suing her? Uh, well, shoot, I'll note this just to uh, preface. We ought to dwell on what the New York AG, Letitia James, is doing here. Um, she actually had a court, uh, a New York lower court judge, um, this week appoint a monitor, which basically seized control of the finances of the Trump company, of the Trump organization. Oh. Um, this is a big deal. And regardless of how anyone feels about former President Trump, um, this exercise of authority is very troubling. I mean, she is basing it on a capacious, roving uh, statute, oh, uh, ancient statute. Um, and if she can do this to President Trump, and it, let's be frank here, this is obviously politically motivated. She yep. would not be doing this um, were Trump a Democrat. Uh, uh, it's basically the Elliot Spitzer model, but applied to your political opponents. As opposed to your industry opponents, as it was for Spitzer. So this is a really troubling and big deal. Um, and again, Trump this week, as you noted with your question, countersued or not countersued, but filed his own original action um, challenging this lawsuit. Now I'll say this: the likelihood of success for Trump's measure is very, very low. Um, you know, the, the appropriate venue is the court in which Letitia James, the New York AG, is pursuing her from what is a political witch hunt. Um, nonetheless, um, I, I certainly I, I empathize with or sympathize with the spirit of Trump's lawsuit, and I outright condemn what the New York AG is doing. I mean, this is, again, regardless of your politics, 
this is ridiculous. I mean, she, she's uh, seized control of a company based on uh, a political uh, witch hunt is perhaps too strong, but, you know, it's in that direction. Yeah, well, of course, it, it happened just days before an election, and I believe her name's on the ballot, if I'm not mistaken, so... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Yeah, so uh, do, do, we, do you have any comments about the Mar-a-Lago raid litigation? Any, any update there? Uh, the only update there was that we had mentioned this last week that uh, Cash Patel, a close Trump aide, um, who had previously invoked his Fifth Amendment privilege uh, uh, with respect to testifying to the government, um, this week was compelled to testify. So, you know, that investigation rolls on. I'll just echo the same point I've repeatedly made, which is it's somewhat outrageous that uh, the incumbent president who has made Trump a central component of his political strategy has not uh, put an arm's length between himself and this investigation, this ongoing investigation, and frankly, the 1 6 investigation that the Justice Department yeah. and FBI are also conducting. So, it is uh, uh, something is amiss within our constitutional order, and uh, the, the the solution or solution, quote unquote, here, at least in my opinion, would be to appoint a special counsel or just to gain some sort of independence for this investigation, if it continues at all, um, from the president, who again has made Trump a, a central focus of his politics. Absolutely, William Yatman again, senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. I believe the website specificlegal.org. Indeed. PacificLegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is a uh, former lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy. He's also a president of and founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. 
back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is the president and founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, a former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander. He hosts his own podcast. It's called Reform This, and also the founder of Take Back Islam. Oh, and by the way, his book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, outstanding. I highly recommend it. Dr. Jassa, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's always great to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Doctor. So uh, I understand that you returned from what would be considered a very important uh, meeting in Austria. Yeah, we um, about a year and a half ago, uh, we formed what we call the Clarity Coalition, and Clarity stands for Champions for Liberty Against the Threat of Islamist Tyranny. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've talked to you about our Muslim reform movement that we formed in 2015. And the Muslim reform movement is a coalition of diverse Muslims that believe that uh, the problem, that terrorism is simply a symptom, but the problem is really uh, only going to be solved by Muslims leading reform against political Islam, theocracy, and the need to separate mosque and state. Well, we, we've gotten as far as we have where we've been, um, you know, beginning to gather uh, some other leaders and groups uh, but uh, we really needed uh, some assistance to try to direct uh, the Western government apparatus uh, in, in Europe and America and North America, the uh, Western universities, academics, think tanks, and other things to sort of begin to, almost like we did in the Cold War, to begin to assess that, you know, uh, at the time we in the Cold War, we said the Soviet Union and all of its uh, uh, allies and and uh, network were part of the, the primary threat globally to American security. And uh, this Clarity Coalition seeks to begin to refocus the West, uh, and actually Europe is ahead of us, you know. Uh, we were worried about security at the time of the meeting, so we didn't publicize it during the meeting, but afterwards, you know, we gathered with uh, uh, many in our reform movement that include a, a, a female uh, leader of a mosque in Germany who has constant protection from the German police, an imam who has uh, a YouTube channel that has uh, a million followers, but uh, wow. also is under threat and, and does receive protection uh, from the German uh, police also because of threats from radical Islamists. Uh, we uh, also had a number of uh, thought leaders from Britain, uh, from Denmark, and from Canada, and also think tanks that included uh, participants from uh, Hudson Institute uh, and um, Middle East Forum with Daniel Pipes, and, um, you know, a, num a number of other folks that have been in this space and the anti-jihad space uh, for some time. Center for Security Policy that I've been a senior fellow with, uh, they also had uh, some of their leadership there. Uh, so I can't tell you how much, how much pro enough about how much progress we made in beginning to coordinate, beginning to look at, well, what's, what's the way forward? And, and the theme of the conference was going on offense. We wanted to go on offense now because we've been sort of taking defense on defense from the Islamists, from the Muslim Brotherhood groups like CARE and, and others, and uh, they're beginning to fall apart. I'll tell you that they're starting to have a lot of uh, infighting, mm. and it's time for us to uh, begin to move forward. And, you know, we're on a four-year sort of ADD cycle in politics here in America, and we've had our own domestic issues with economic uh, concerns and other things that are obviously a priority, but the, the Islamists and the jihadists continue to advance 
and uh, we can't take our eye off that ball. We need to be able to do a, a, you know, a couple things at once, if you will. So interesting, Dr. Jasser. It's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of like uh, taking a drink from a fire hose here to, to get this information. But it, it sounds to me like uh, you've had the bully pulpit, and you've certainly voiced your message through a number of organizations, including your own. But now it sounds like you're trying to coordinate political response, to, uh, a global uh, political response to the situation. Yeah, and you know Austria is interesting in and of itself. Uh, we we chose that just because in Salzburg uh, there's the Global uh, Strategic Center uh, that uh, uh, really had a wonderful center for us to be able to have that meeting. Hmm. Uh, but I will tell you, for example, Austria is one of the European countries that has uh, targeted political Islam and and realized that there's a separatist movement. Uh, they have the diagnosis correct. Many of us would say they have the treatment wrong. The treatment is to outlaw the idea of political Islam, and they're shutting down mosques and others that preach it. Um, while, again, they have the eye on the target correct, but the, the solution, if you look at Turkey, Erdogan is running Turkey because the Turkish nationalists for 80 years pushed the Islamist movement of the Erdogan types underground, and then it ultimately took over the place. So that's in a Muslim-majority country. And in the West, I think you, you prevent the ability to counter these ideas with the antiseptic of sunlight if you push them underground. So I think what we're doing is beginning to coordinate what our best practices, uh, what are some themes that, whether it's uh, left or right, uh, we're building a coalition of uh, uh, center-left, center-right, uh, folks that are not afraid to, to call a spade a spade, begin to amplify our voices and do force multiplication on various podcasts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this was convened by Ayan Hirsi Ali, along with our Muslim reform movement at the, at the Ayan Hirsi Ali Foundation. And Ayan really has worked to, to protect women's rights. Uh, and, and we left really with the primary priority being to advocate for uh, the women's rights movement in Iran uh, and, and uh, continue to shed a light on that and that that's the best national security program for ending the regime is allowing it to implode from within by a movement of men and women for the rights of women to not have the government control their bodily autonomy. So we're going to try to make sure the West doesn't uh, ignore the plight of women who are still marching in the streets on a daily basis in Iran. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, a statistic I recall from uh, several years ago, I'm not even sure if it's accurate at this point, but there's a small percentage uh, of uh, uh, Muslims who uh, participate in jihad, in other words, uh, in, into the violence, into the, the what's going on, but also another larger percentage who actually... Muslims who accept it or, you know, they're passive about it, but it's it's okay, if you will. Uh, I wonder if you could comment on that. Yeah, so the, you know, the the, the percentage, uh, the, the, the far left, the progressivists, because of their relationship with the Islamists, seem to say it's a small percent. But you do the math when you're talking about 10 to 20 percent, uh, up to 25 percent have sympathy for radical Islamists and feel that while their means may not be appropriate, the, the cause is, God yeah. forbid, um, and 10 to, you know, 5 to 10 percent actually support them. So you do the math, you know, if you have millions uh, going into Europe uh, as refugees, uh, that is, uh, you know, in the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Uh, if you have uh, 1.6 billion globally, uh, you're talking about... Uh, you know, uh, um, up to 100 million or more that, that uh, could be radicalized. So the Islamist movement politically as a political party in many of these countries. And one of the things we also talked about was there's a focus on the Muslim Brotherhood, which is fine. But political Islam 
includes in, in the Indo-Pakistani area, the largest party in the area is Jamaat Islamiya. So it's not just the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt, but it includes the Islamists of, of Pakistan, which is a huge movement, a party of tens of millions and uh, followers of uh, over 100 million in the region, and then Iran's Khomeini. All of these might be antagonists to each other at one time or another, but ultimately they have also, they unite against the West and want to form a caliphate, and a, a, they see the West as, as evil and uh, the, the land of war, not when it's not the land of Islam. So interesting, Dr. Jassa. So again, you, you have the uh, the whole notion of pro- prohibiting or, or spotting the uh, the spread of uh, Islamic jihad, but also the internal problem of uh, getting the message out to uh, to Muslims to understand that uh, the separ- as you pointed out earlier in the in the interview, uh, the separation of mosque and state. Yeah, and I think people will will look back. You'll be you're going to start the the German press now. Just had a story yesterday. The, um, about our gathering. We're calling it Salzburg 2022, Salzburg, Austria. Um, and uh, I think that it's going to be a starting point. Uh, we're going to continue to get this initial group together of very diverse uh, individuals that really understand that jihad is a problem, but there has to be a solution. And the solution is, that's why we, we call ourselves Clarity Coalition. Mm-hmm. I'd ask people to go to our website, claritycoalition.org, claritycoalition.org, and we're champions for liberty against Islamist tyranny. So the way to defeat a movement is not only to be in common against something, but we were for, we are for liberty, for secular uh, governance, for freedom, uh, individual rights, equality, so there are things that are, that commonly unite us, and I think many of us in the center right uh, and uh, those in the center left and others uh, have not been good at coalition building like the leftists have, where you saw Black Lives Matter and others sort of begin to burn up American cities uh, because they collectivized in a movement with a simple hashtag. So, you know, similarly, I think we need to begin to have some common ideas that unite us, that that animate us, and we certainly, uh, rather than burn down American cities, we want to uh, lift up our founding fathers and the importance of American patriotism and our national identity. And the same thing is going through Europe. If you look at the politics and Macron's uh, language and his politics in France and uh, the politics in German politics, Italian, you know, the Italian election went to the right now, and uh, that movement uh, is really being animated by uh, I need to sort of become more clear, if you will, clarity on uh, what we're fighting in jihad. So, jihad. so you've got to be so pleased, Dr. Jasser. This sounds like a big step forward, and congratulations to you. I'm going to, right after the show, check out claritycoalition.org, claritycoalition.org. Also, uh, uh, the uh, website for American Islamic Forum for Democracy is aifdemocracy.org. And I highly recommend A Battle for the Soul of Islam, a great read. I think it's been out, what, about six or seven years? I'm not sure exactly what the time is, but a very yes, a, sir. A terrific book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam by Dr. Zudi Jasser. Doctor, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Bob. Appreciate it. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary to help you enjoy your life here on the Paradise Coast. Here in that commercial for Dr. Markovich reminds me he just replaced my hip, full hip replacement in uh, June of this year. So grateful that uh, he's done that for me. Terrific surgeon. I hope uh, you'll give him a call. If you have joint pain, 482-5399 is the number. 482-5399. This segment of the show brought to you by the Foundation for Government Accountability, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Well, the White House on Wednesday deleted a Twitter post after it was uh, fact-checked for making an inaccurate claim about the Social Security cost of living adjustment that was recently announced. Seniors are getting the biggest increase in Social Security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership, the now-deleted White House Twitter uh, post said. (laughs) However, the post failed to mention that the COLA adjustment was due to surging decades-high inflation. COLA adjustments have been automatically done every year for decades due to federal law, and the adjustments are not contingent on any Biden administration policies. So this is just incomplete. Now, see what's happening here is that uh, Elon Musk has purchased uh, Twitter. He calls himself the chief twit. It's kind of interesting. Today, I guess there's going to be massive layoffs. About 50% of the employees at Twitter are getting their notice today. So uh, Twitter is making some changes. I'm disappointed, that, and I understand why, but he is not reinstating uh, President Trump and others uh, on Twitter until after the elections and until like, actually he establishes his policies for Uh, having people taken off of uh, Twitter. But irrespective, uh, now we're beginning to see, uh, for the first time, 
uh, President Biden's uh, getting checked, fact-checked on on what he's posting. So now they're having to take down his posts. Uh, and he's taking credit for a COLA increase adjustments in in the uh, payments for Social Security. Shameless, unbelievable. Well, as you know, the Federal Reserve pumped up its benchmark interest rate Wednesday by three quarters of a point for a, a fourth straight time, but hinted that it could soon reduce the size of rate hikes. The Fed move raised uh, its key short-term rates to a range of 3.75 to 4 percent, its highest level in 15 years. It was the central bank's sixth rate hike this year, a streak that's made mortgages and other consumer business loans increasingly expensive and heightened the risk of recession. And that's the problem right now, is uh, with these increased in interest rates, uh, the, the uh, housing market is cratered. People are now are kind of very concerned about the cost of a mortgage and uh, we're seeing a number of industries hit by this so uh, trying to get inflation under control by not putting us in an inflationary situation is very difficult We've, of course had had a uh, an a increase in the gdp in the last quarter so that may be kind of a head fake right now but uh the fed's in a tough position and uh i think the best solution is to get rid of the fed but that's another story for another time well, Supreme Court Justice John Roberts has granted an administrative stay on a lower court order that prevents the House Ways and Means Committee from accessing Trump's tax returns. The stay is temporary and will last until the court considers a final decision. On Monday, the former president asked the Supreme Court to block the House Ways and Means Committee from accessing his tax returns after it's requested six years' worth of Trump's returns as part of an investigation in the IRS audit practices of presidents and vice presidents. So Trump accused the committee of seeking his taxes under dubious circumstances with a petition to the Supreme Court reading, the committee's purpose is requesting President Trump's tax returns has nothing to do with funding or staffing issues at the IRS and everything to do with releasing the president's tax information to the public. In August, a federal appeals court ruled that the committee would be handed the tax returns having first sought the returns in 2019. Uh, Trump recently failed to block the request on Thursday with the D.C. Uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. It shot down his request to reconsider a unanimous opinion from one of the three judge panels. Trump says that the panel attempts to get his hands on his returns are purely political, and it's so true. So after, uh, after the uh, 8th of November when we get the election results. Of course, the, we won't be able to install the new government into, on the members of the House of the Representatives until January, but irrespective, uh, it's going to certainly put uh, damper on uh, the interest of, uh, uh, of uh, looking at Trump's tax returns. That's just the absolutely no reason in the world that's not going to enhance our tax policy or anything else. All they're trying to do is discredit President Do Donald Trump. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of uh, several books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. And he writes his column for Newsmax, uh, Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Show, 
Bleu Provence is one of only 97 restaurants worldwide to receive Wine Spectator's prestigious Grand Award, and they've received it for the eighth consecutive year. Blue Provence Restaurant is temporarily closed for renovations due to damage from Hurricane Ian, and they look forward to serving you again in the near future. In the meantime, you can enjoy their grand award-winning wine list with unbeatable prices on more than 2,500 wines by visiting Blue Provence Fine Wines at 1234 8th Street South, Monday through Saturday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Check out the vast wine selection by visiting Blue Provence on Facebook or visit the easy-to-browse website, blueprovencefinewines.com. Visit blueprovencefinewines.com, or if you need help, you can call Jacques directly at 239-821-6772. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. As I mentioned before the break, he's written several books, 12 books, I believe. I read most of them. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, and it also writes a column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And Bob, it's always a pleasure, and thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure, Doctor. So uh, you write a column. I think this has been underreported, but it's a major threat to the economy. Diesel fuel shortage threatens transportation, power, and economy. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah. We're all aware of, of course, the gas short, gas problems. You know, we we're reminded of that every time we uh, we put gas in our in our automobiles, and and here it go ding 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 very fast and so on. But we're we're also getting uh, ding very badly on diesel fuel, where we, according to EIA, Energy Information Agency, we've got about less than a month of uh, of of reserve supplies and uh and everything moves on diesel when I mean, you think of you think of how important it is you know of course the trucks you know you know long haul trucks and so on but but you know the, the you know the the tractors that, that you know work in the fields and the construction equipment that builds stuff and uh you know the the ships at sea and the trains and and the and the aircraft uh, fuel is very is a close cousin, and uh, as is heating oil. And so, so uh, we're we're not as aware of that, right? As in terms of like the immediate impact, but 
but arguably it's a it's a, a scarier situation when you think of when you know think of transportation virtually stopping and you think we've got a supply chain problem now I can imagine what that would mean and uh, so it's it's really a another unforced error that that is very very disturbing and uh, and this just shouldn't be, shouldn't be happening in this country no it certainly shouldn't it uh, I guess I, the the uh, president has deleted our strategic oil reserves substantially I would imagine that includes diesel and uh, that's uh, with only 25 days of of oil, diesel oil uh, uh, remaining. Now, how are we doing with regard to the supply coming in? Or is it, it, in other words, are we meeting our needs on a day-to-day basis with the oil that uh, the diesel oil is being uh, delivered? Well, no, we're really in. They're talking about a very tight supply, and and of course with winter approaching, that's you know we're talking about you know heating fuel as well, which is which is related and. Uh, so they're putting out alerts now that, you know, ex- you know, the trucking company is saying, you know, expect, expect delays because the trucking companies, the truckers are, 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 are finding that, you know, they don't have reliable supplies when they want to gas up. So yeah, sometimes they have to kind of go off route or, or reschedule in order to have adequate, you know, fuel to make these trips. And, uh, and of course, uh, President Biden is blaming this on the Iran war. You know, the uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Ukrainian war, and with Russia and, and so on. But there's there's just no excuse. We, you know, the the uh, his his energy policies have been just absolutely disastrous, and and with uh, these policies, there is very little incentive for the oil industry, petroleum industry, to make large investments that they need for refining and they need for the, you know, for the, you know, the pipelines to get the, you know, material, you know, the, you know, their crude oil and uh, to refineries and, and to users. And, and so at the same time, he browbeats them to say they're overcharging. Yeah. He's destroyed their economic incentive to, to uh, do something about it. And of course, then there's the, you know, the horrible embarrassment for our country when he goes to, uh, you know, he and his administration go to OPEC and uh, OPEC plus, including Russia and, and UAE and uh, even talking about relieving sanctions on Venezuela and Iran in order to get, encourage them to, pump oil that we could be providing, which is really rewarding our adversaries. Uh, it's, it's an insane uh, uh, number of policies that uh, are just really, really destructive. And I think the midterms can't come soon enough. Well, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I wonder if you're, you know, we've talked about this so many times, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand that with these uh, hydrocarbon uh we are hydrocarbon carbon rich here in this country, and yet the uh, this administration has demonized trying to look for alternative energy sources, which of course are not going to be able to fill our need. Can you can you speak to the whole notion about uh, hydrocarbons trying to eliminate uh, hydrocarbons in our society? Yeah, it's uh, 
it's a back the paper napkin kind of discussion because it's so it's so straightforward, you know, and simple that you know we, hydrocarbons provide about eighty percent or more of of our energy. Now, when I'm talking about energy, I'm not talking about just about electricity, but I'm talking about, again. There's transportation and there's heating and air conditioning and and uh, and so on. So so hydrogen, the hydrocarbons, i.e. fossil energy, including coal and, and natural gas and, and and oil, petroleum, uh, are about eighty percent or more of not only our supply but the world's supply. And wind and solar, when they talk about renewables, they're talking really about wind and solar which are very uh, puny sources. I mean, they collectively provide about 3% or less, and then not even when you need it, then not when, the, not when you have demand loads. And and they're intermittent. And, you know, it depends on when the wind's blowing and the sun's shining, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, try, to, try to recharge your car in the middle of the night with the sun out if you're running on solar power. And and to make it worse, we're, we're pushing these, Electric vehicles on the grid. It's a we, but the administration and but the you know they're 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 rewarding these electric vehicles that put more demand on electricity and green energy doesn't plug into a tree somewhere, <laughs> and 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 so they're running in they're running to China, that has a 1.3 billion uh, population market. You know, it's, and but but China provides about 80 percent of the of the world's uh, Rare earth materials yeah. that are needed for the batteries, and they're producing, you know, the wind turbines, and they're producing the solar panels. So we're we're putting ourselves in a kind of horrible energy dependency, not unlike and but much worse than Europe, depending on Russia for their for their natural gas and and, and some of their oil. So th- these are insane policies, and and they have no, you know, it's all it's all predicated on saving the planet and and that's you know in in the false information about severe weather becoming more frequent yeah uh and, and which which is not true but of course when you as you know in, in florida we know in, in texas you know when a hurricane comes it's pretty scary and it if it hits you it's the worst one in history but but if you look statistically at this thing it's nonsense right they're not more frequent and they're not more severe they're we just have a lot of people in harm's way because of the amount of development, particularly in coastal areas. So it's, it's a complex subject, but the energy equation side of it is very simple. We don't have an alternative to hydrocarbons. We, we, we can build more nuclear, and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. But, and, and we can, but we can't expand hydropower because we environmentalists don't want, don't want more dams. Yeah. So that's where we are. Well, maybe uh, maybe the words out because now Germany, I read, is reducing its windmill farms and taking them down to be able to expand its coal minings. <laughs> maybe they're discovering the truth that you just uh, iterated here again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Great read his latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries: My Life by Design. And check out Newsmax. Dot com in his column. He puts out a couple of times a week. It's called On Point. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always enjoy it. Thank, Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. 
On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be covering current global events. Larry Reed is endowed, I should say, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several murder mysteries, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. It's one of the ways we get our word out, the word out and support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>